I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Well, Happy New Year to you, and uh, I've been asked... (laughs) I'll say more about that in a minute. I've been asked um, by a lot of people over the years. In fact, this has been the most popular question as a youth pastor that I've received from students has been the question about tattoos. And so I'm going to be getting into that today in great detail. I want to give you three things today just to just to start off by letting you know what I'm going to tell you. Um, I want to understand the Old Testament prohibition against tattoos. What was that about? Number two, how does that apply to us today who are in Christ? And number three... Um, what does wisdom and love say about how we should handle this contentious and divisive issue? Because this issue not only causes confusion, in my opinion, it causes a great deal of division in the body of Christ. And that is the thing that bothers me the most. And it should be the thing that bothers you the most. The division is worse than the confusion on the topic of tattoos. And so uh, today we're going to get right into that in the uh, Tuesday, first Tuesday live stream of 2019. Um, Happy New Year to you. I I hope that uh, your year so far has been going good. If not, then uh, don't worry. Most of it is still left. (laughs) It'll get better. Um, Okay. So, uh, so just if, if you're joining me for the first time for a live stream right now, um, if you're watching the replay, um, just hang in there. You're going to get all the upfront important content right at the beginning. I'm going to share all of that, all the Q and A stuff where I interact with the audience. That's going to be at the end. So you won't have to be, um, sort of like bothered by the ADD nature of some live streams. If you are watching live, uh, you can actually put questions and comments in the live chat uh, as you please. I do ask that we keep it friendly and kind and thoughtful and gracious in in the live chat. I think that's important for us, especially those of us who profess Christ. Um, But you can put questions in there as well, and I'll answer them at the end of the live stream. And my friend AJ is going to be monitoring the live chat to send those questions over to me. Now, many people are not going to agree with me on this topic. That's okay. In fact, at the very end, I'm going to tell you what to do if you don't agree. Uh, that's that's kind of part of the issue here is that we don't agree on this issue of um, of tattoos. So first things first, let's look at the Old Testament passage, the number one Old Testament passage in question, and it's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, which says, "You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord." And there's a few things I want to get into here, and one is the context of it. Um, it gives us a little bit more information on this. Um, That's basically the paragraph itself. It says, you shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair of your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. That's the section, the I am the Lord section of that passage in Leviticus. And it's a mixture, in my opinion, of moral truths that are true for all time and specific laws for the people of Israel um, that we apply in a different way, um, in, in, in an indirect way as Christians today. We, we actually draw principles from them. I'll come back to that though. This is the issue though, right? If anybody's asked you about tattoos, this is the passage that comes up. It's verse 27. Um, now I have to say right from the beginning, if you're going to say that we have to take this because it's part of the Old Testament law and apply it directly into our lives. No questions asked. If that's your, your, your stance, if your position is tattoos are wrong because of verse 27 here, then you also have to take all of the Old Testament laws, um, all of them, including about the Sabbath, about the cutting of your hair, including about the wearing of tassels on your clothing. Um, you're going to need to embrace them all to be cons- just to be biblically consistent, to say, I'm going to interpret the scriptures consistently applying them into my life. You have to do that. Um, now, so let's look at how this applied to the ancient Israeli, what this was about to them. We actually get a little bit more details um, in Deuteronomy 14, verse 1. There's another parallel passage where it comes up again. It says, you are the sons of the Lord, your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. This is the second time we get that phrase for the dead. This Leviticus passage is is, is highlighting something, the cutting of the hair, even that we had in verse 28 of Leviticus or verse 27. Um, that it also refers to something being done for the dead. This is stuff that the pagan nations around Israel would do for the deceased, for for dead people. Now, I've been to enough funerals uh, to know that people are looking for something to do. And if you have weird, you know, unbiblical and and false spiritual beliefs, then you might do weird things upon the moment when someone you know and love dies. You might do some weird stuff, some strange things. Well, they would cut themselves. They would cut their hair. They would even tattoo themselves, it seems, in relation to the deceased. Now, I think the tattoo thing 
goes beyond that. I think it's more than just for the deceased. I think it's a, a general ban in the Old Testament law, a general ban on tattoos. I'm going to apply it to Christians in a different way, but I think that that is how it would apply to the Israelite, and I'll give you more. I'll give you more reasons as to why. But let's look at another passage in 1 Kings 18, 28, another parallel passage. So this is on Mount Carmel. Uh, Elijah, uh, he faces off against the prophets of Baal. And um, and one of the things they do is they build this altar and they're going to call upon their God to answer with fire, to burn up this offering in this altar. 1 Kings 18 is a really interesting passage. And since probably most of you are somewhat familiar with it and the rest of you could just look it up, I'll skip to the chase, right? When, when the false prophets are unable to get their God to answer because their God doesn't exist, when they're unable to get him to answer by fire... Um, they start cutting themselves. It says, and they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. See, this is key. The nature of this cutting of themselves, and this does relate to tattoos uh, back then, is that it would cause their blood to come out and that this blood itself was something of an offering to get the favor of this God. You see, I, I lose a loved one. In this case, they're trying to get them to do a miracle of some kind. But in the Leviticus situation, I lost my, my loved one. They've died. And I believe in these false deities. I'll cut myself. I'll mark myself. Perhaps that will um, do something for the deceased loved one that will cause the God that they went to go see to have favor upon them. It was like a, a, a blood sacrifice, a blood offering or something like that. That seems to be at least one part of the story, one side of the coin when it comes to these Old Testament, this Old Testament prohibition on cutting yourself in tattoos. Um, we, we see later on the people of Israel in Jeremiah 16, 6, they, they were actually doing this. They started doing this years down the road. This, I mean, God forbid them to do it. So they're doing it in rebellion to him, but they were taking up these habits. Um, he says, both small and great shall die in this land. They shall not be buried and no one shall lament for them or cut himself or make himself bald for them. Um, so, so we're seeing in Jeremiah's day, there's other verses in Jeremiah too that mention this, that they were actually doing these things. They actually started doing this cutting practice and this shaving of their heads for the sake of these type of mourning. Um, then let's look at another Leviticus passage. And this is in Leviticus 21. Um, uh, I'll start actually in verse 1. And now this passage I think is going to reveal something that probably you haven't thought of if you're not Jewish, right? You didn't think about this when you were like, what's wrong with tattoos? What's wrong with cutting yourself? Um, well, obviously, if it's for a pagan deity, there's something wrong with it. But there's another side of the coin as well. And that is just the nature of blood being unclean. You see, when you get blood on you from a human, that's an unclean thing. And now you are an un you're unclean for a season, for a time. There's something unclean about the nature of it. Tattooing would include that as well. So you would be having an emission of blood upon yourself. That would make you unclean. Consider this if you were Jewish, right? Leviticus 21. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has no husband, has had no husband for her. He may make himself unclean. That meant um, if, if, a, if a relative died and they're the sons of Aaron, the high priests, right? This, this group within the Levites, the Levitical priests, there is the Aaronic priests. These guys, they're not supposed to um, to even like carry a dead body unless it's for like this really close relative. In other words, they need them. No one else can do it. It's got to be them. But as you read on, you get more details. Verse 4, he shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body because these things make them unclean but also they're pagan ritual type things. So it's both. There's two sides of that coin there. Um, it's unclean. So this, this, if it's an unclean issue, then it also means that this tattoo thing would go across the board. It would be, you're, you're Jewish, you just don't get a tattoo. You're, if you're under the Old Testament law, just nobody gets a tattoo under this law because the releasing of the blood makes you unclean. Um, that, that might have something to do with it. I mean, the Leviticus passage doesn't explain itself in great detail. So we're just sort of, trying to put it together based upon really little bits of information. Um, so, were all markings wrong? Here's an interesting question. Were all markings wrong or was it just some markings? Well, look at the data we get from Genesis 4.15. Here's something you probably never thought of related to tattoos. Then, then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. 
And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. There is a mark placed on Cain by God that, I mean, some people, they, I think it's really interesting the weird theories people have about the mark of Cain, like it had to do with the, the color of his skin or something like that. It wasn't, he didn't change who Cain was, he put a mark upon him. Um, the closest relation to this would be something like a tattoo. It's a permanent mark on the physical body of Cain. I'm not saying God tattooed him like it required the releasing of Cain's blood or something like that. I'm saying that here's a situation where God marks someone and, and the mark on Cain's a positive thing. I'll do a video on the mark of Cain one of these days. It's not a negative thing. Uh, some people like to say uh, that that certain, certain uh, ethnicities are marked with the mark of Cain. But... <laughs> The irony of it is this, is there are always racists who say this, right? And if that were true, then all it would mean is that those who are marked with the mark of Cain are protected by God. So I'm like, if anyone's marked with Cain, I would like it to be me, okay? If, if anyone's marked like that, I would like to have God's protection like that on my life. It would, it would actually not be a bad thing. It would be a good thing. Um, so this was God's protection of Cain. But it's like this. It's similar to this. It's like a tattoo type thing. So I, I don't know that we can say that the tattooing concept was always bad at all times but it is in the old testament law but in a time before the law here we have the mark of cain um was all cutting like the cutting of the flesh was wrong was all cutting wrong was every kind of cutting wrong i think we have to answer that with a no and i'll give you the reason why um well two reasons one is if a servant in the old testament law a servant were to commit himself to a to his to his master for his lifetime he would do something he would go to the doorpost and he would get his ear pierced he would have piercing of an ear which would would be you know cutting into the flesh right so that was actually commanded so I, I don't think we can say that all cutting of every kind was always wrong plus there's something called circumcision circumcision is a is is a, is a mark in a sense upon the, the the people of god the jewish people it's a positive thing it's a good thing it's a required thing and it's a cutting of the flesh so it's not like every type of cutting is blanket wrong here but there is a sense in which perhaps tattoos had more of a blanket term against them. Now, you might be like, don't be so vague. Well, I'm being as clear as I can be based upon what scripture will warrant. These, in some cases, come down to questionable issues. We don't know. For sure, if you were getting a tattoo, uh, a pagan-related tattoo for the dead, that was considered wrong. And perhaps one of the reasons is this. The tattoo was to indicate that a person was a slave of a particular deity. So you would get a, a tattoo of some kind to say, I belong to such and such deity. There was an allegiance of my life to a certain deity. And the pagans would do this sometimes perhaps in response to a deceased relative to earn favor with that deity. Um, but that was one of the things that they would do. So, so yeah, if you're Jewish, if you're under the Old Testament law, or if you're a Christian who believes that we're under the Old Testament law, then I don't think there's any real question about it here. I think that your, your most wise thing to do is to say, yep, tattoos are wrong. Don't get a tattoo. Don't get one under any sort of normal circumstance of life. Um, there is, in, in Revelation, we get that the people of God are marked, but I don't know if you can call that a tattoo. I was looking at the passage, and it doesn't seem like, I don't know if you can call that like a tattoo-type mark. It may well just be a spiritual mark that is, is only seen spiritually and not physically. But here's the thing. I think it's pretty clear in the New Testament that the Old Testament does not apply to us the way that it applied to ancient Israel. I think it's very clear that as a Gentile believers in Jesus Christ, we're not under the Old Testament law. There's a lot of passages that actually teach this, and this is an issue that I think is really important for Christians to understand nowadays, because many of the skeptical and, and atheist attacks on Christianity, they focus on Old Testament concepts that Christians sometimes are just unaware of. So they don't know how to defend it. Because what happens is the skeptic presents to you a distorted version of the Old Testament, and you're supposed to embrace that. So you have to have a clear understanding of, you know, how we treat the Old Testament law as New Testament believers, um, as those who are in Messiah, and what um, and what that Old Testament law originally meant. Well, we've already talked about what it originally meant. Now let's talk about how it applies to Christians in the light of Jesus Christ. Number one thing I'll tell you is this. The Old Testament law was never intended for all people for all time. It was never meant to be. For instance, let's say that you think we should all obey the, the, the law. Um, and I, I may do a video on this in the coming future. And so I know there's a good group who are going to disagree with me here, but I ask you to do it graciously. Um, 
Abraham certainly did not even know about the law, not the Old Testament law. He knew about moral laws. He knew about some things for sure, but he didn't know about the Mosaic law. It was 400 years later. Um, it was never intended for all people. When, when, um, when we have Gentiles who are believing uh, in, in the God of Israel, they're not told to go back to their Gentile lands and convert them all to follow the law of Moses. They're just told to cast off those false idols and worship the God, the true God. So we don't, we don't have this sort of universal application of Old Testament law, even before Christ. After Christ, though, we have the fulfillment of the law by Jesus. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, meaning there's an accomplishment of the law. Ha ha, mission accomplished. That's the idea. Um, and I, I'll put in my video description a, a more thorough uh, two-part series I have on how to understand the Old Testament law. I think that may be helpful for you. I'll put that down there. But here's a couple verses for you that I think are very important. And one is Acts 15. So um, if you're going to understand how to apply the Old Testament law to New Testament Christians or, new, or current day times, then you need to understand something. Um, and that is the, the, the structure of the Bible. The Old Testament was all written, directed primarily towards the Jewish people and secondarily applications towards Gentiles and the rest of the world. The Gospels are not primarily this message of Jesus reaching out to the world. No, actually Jesus in his mission in the Gospels, he is reaching out to the Jewish people. It is after his death and resurrection that the Gospel is then to go out into all the world. Remember when Jesus said to the woman, I'm only sent to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Remember when he said that? He didn't mean forever. He meant right at that moment in that season of his ministry. Then after his death and resurrection, he commissions the church and he says, now go out into all the world and preach the gospel. So then th this is, this is a, the, the tipping point or the shifting from Israel focused to um, in, being really inclusive of Gentiles. It's not in between Malachi and Matthew at the end of the Old Testament, beginning of the New. Rather, that shift is actually at the end of the Gospels and at the beginning of the book of Acts. And as you read Acts with that in mind, you see that the early church is moving towards in being in inclusive and understanding how the gospel applies to all people. And then, of course, the natural question arises when they see all these Gentiles getting saved. Are they supposed to obey the Old Testament law? Hence the council in Acts chapter 15. So the early church has an actual council. There, there's This is like a legitimate church council with the actual apostles, right? Not, I'm not talking the council of Trent or Vatican I or two. We're talking legitimate. This is the Jerusalem council with the actual apostles there, including Paul. And, um, and here's the issue. Acts 15, it says, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, the elders, uh, and and the elders about this question. So this is this is the issue. There's people coming from Jerusalem. They reportedly came from Judea area, and they're saying, "Hey, you Gentiles, you need to become more Jewish. You have to be circumcised, and you have to keep the law of Moses, or you won't be saved." Okay, that's how it starts. The council gets triggered by that moment. Now, we, I think most of us would agree, you don't have to do these things to be saved. But others will say you still have to do them because they're just good. Um, I'll, I think I'll deal with that in a future video. Um, but, uh, but today I'm focusing on tattoos. So let's look at how this applies to tattoos. As you look at verse, um, let's see, I think it's verse 5. We can see what they said at the council. It says, but some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Two issues here, not one. Circumcise and keep the law of Moses. Circumcision was sort of a way that a, a non-Jew would say, I am now going to keep the law of Moses. So it was kind of like that um, that doorway one enters to, to come into the room of the Mosaic law and say, ah, I'm now under this thing. So they gather together and they debate the issue. I'll, I'll, I'll skip kind of the conclusion. There's this long discussion and Peter talks about it and he testifies and all this stuff happens. And so they're figuring out the answer, right? Well, in uh, verse 23... We get the conclusion. They send a letter to the brothers in uh, Antioch. Well, I'll just read it to you. It says, with the following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. So here's the message to the Gentiles. What do we want the Gentiles to know about this issue? It says, since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions... So first thing they do is they distance themselves from those, those people. We didn't tell them to tell you that stuff. 
Okay, so that wasn't the apostolic teaching. That wasn't good theology. Um, uh, we gave them no instructions. Verse 25, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord, meaning they all agree on this topic. Okay, there's full agreement. They're, 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 they're unanimous. To choose men and send them to you with our beloved brothers, uh, beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27 here. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So they have the letter, they have the men, they have representatives of both camps. So everybody knows this is clearly the decision that's been made. They understand what God is telling them. Uh, verse 28. For it, has, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden than these requirements. So the Holy Spirit is included here. So they're saying that they're being led of the Holy Spirit. This is this is this is the Lord guiding this decision. And in verse 29, here's what they're asked to do. Abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay, first off, it's not a salvation issue. This is they're not even talking about salvation. They're just talking about conduct now. Right? They they never change the fact that they're saved by faith through grace. That's not the issue. What the letter is actually doing is establishing what is even expected of Gentile believers in Christ. And the idea is that the Old Testament law as a whole is not expected. Now, if it is, I'm going to do it and I'm going to submit and I'm going to obey. But I want to be biblical and I want to follow what Christ has revealed to us. So it says that we don't have to, okay? What we should do is abstain from um, things sacrificed to idols. That, that That's things involved in pagan rituals. And 1 Corinthians gives us more details on that. I'll maybe talk about some other time. Um, and from blood, and that goes back to Genesis 10, this is a pre-law issue, and then from what has been strangled, and from, same thing as blood there, and from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is just an overarching moral issue, something that's pervasively wrong in Gentile communities, we must admit, right? That sexual immorality, this is not about a, a ceremonial issue of the law. No, no, this is about moral issues that apply to all people of all times, and so, therefore, we get statements like that in Colossians 2. And we can see how they apply these things. Um, how, how, how they apply these things that we can, we don't have to worry about feast days. We don't have to worry about specific ceremonial, I would call them. That's the term I would use for these types of things uh, in the Old Testament law. They, don't, they simply do not apply directly to us. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncir the uncircumcision of your flesh, here Colossians 2.13, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Not only the record of the debt, but also the legal demands. Canceled. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, Conclusion, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are specifically law-related things. Food and drink, what you can eat and drink and not eat and drink, the clean and unclean animals. Um, festivals, that would absolutely be regarding things like uh, Passover or, or you name it. Um, these are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he sees that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things, and that's why we are not under them now because we're in Christ. So in Christ, we have the fulfillment of those things. Let no one disqualify you. And, and it goes on and uh, begins to change subjects onto other issues as well. So that's the Colossians passage. So the underlying principle for Christians is this. Um, we don't want to be involved in things that, that violate, you know, overall moral laws, like don't murder. Okay, that's not just a ceremonial civil thing. That was true before the law. It's true after the law. It's simply true for all people of all time. But with things like the tattoos or or if it's not related to pagan worship, not related to pagan worship, obviously, because pagan worship is wrong in and of itself, then these things simply don't apply to us directly. And so it just doesn't apply. Um, my bottom line with tattoos is that the Leviticus passage, while it would truly, I think, it would say, don't get tattoos. It doesn't apply to us like that as New Testament believers in the same sense that I can wear clothing that is made of cotton and polyester in the same sense that I can sow my, my, my field uh, with two different types of seed in the same sense that I'm not under the same requirements as the law, but rather there's these moral rules and this seems to not be 
one of them. I don't think the tattoos are inherently morally evil. If so, I'm not sure why God gave something like that to Cain, right, as a way of protecting him. Um, so, th so I hope that that logic follows. But you see, this is this is where a lot of people end the conversation. They end the conversation and they say things like, "So go ahead and get tattoos and don't let anyone judge you and move on." But that is that's this is where the conversation begins, because now we have to ask our third question, right? We said, "What is the Old Testament statements?" What is the New Testament light that is shed upon that? And then the third question, what does wisdom and love have us doing as Christians now? Because let me show you what I see happen. Okay, you guys may have heard of this guy. His name is Grant something. I apologize for not remembering his name. Um, but but his, uh, his thing is Rant Nation. I've seen this, this video, <laughs> I've seen many times, <laughs> seen it pop up over and over again. Um, and I have, I have a couple things I think we can learn from through it. So first off, th this gentleman, he received, and he, he's a believer. He does a lot of, uh, uh, talk on politics and things like that. That's not what I'm, I'm actually getting into today at all. But a lady had, had sent a post to him and listen to what she said. And she, as she kind of attacked him for having tattoos, um, and she did this from the perspective of, of a Christian. So listen to what she says, and then we'll talk about that. Because I think that wisdom will have us acting in a very different way than this lady does. She says, Graham, I really want to like you and your message, but your tattoos make you look trashy and take away from your message. And as a Christian, I just can't stand to look at you. As now, here's the phrase that bothers me the most of what, what the lady says. I'm assuming that Grant correctly quoted her, right? If she, if she really wrote that, then that's what she said. As a Christian, I can't look at you. What she did was she not only has a view of tattoos, that tattoos are wrong, but her view is that that view is a Christian view, but I just showed us from the scriptures that she shouldn't say that. So she's pushing her view as though this is, this is simply the simple overarching moral truth for all people, and you should know better, Grant. She's what the Bible describes as the weak Christian, that's the term, who feels that something is wrong, even though it's not really wrong in that sense. Um, but then we get this. Because she's wrong, I get this, but Grant also shares some things that this, and this is what concerns me. This video got shared not because of her comments, but because of his. Listen to how Grant responded to her. And I want to ask you, is this the acts, the, the actions of, of one of us who's following Jesus in this area of our life? Wow. Wow. Talk about judging somebody by their cover and not by what's inside of them. So he's pretty upset. He's mad at her for judging, yet everything that Grant's going to do next is ripping on and judging her and Christianity in general and churches as a whole. Listen to what he says next. In fact, the sad part about it all is if you want to know where you can find the most self-centered, judgmental people in the world, they go to this place called church once a week on Sunday. And before you get offended and you say, oh my goodness, Graham, not my church and not me, blah, 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 blah. If you're sitting here watching this video as a Christian and you don't understand what I'm talking about at all, then I'm probably talking about you. you okay, I, 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 um, I only share this video because it's been viewed by so many people. I mean, millions and millions and millions have viewed this and it's become their voice. Like they share this guy's video as they're like... Here's the final word on tattoos, and I'm saying, no, this is unbiblical on both sides. The lady judges him unfairly and, un and unrighteously, and he just turns and judges her right back and rips on not only her, but anybody, I mean, just this big vague reference of Christians that he hates Christianity and stuff, and it's like, I get what you're trying to do there, Grant, but that was not what Scripture's asking us to do, and so I'm going to say they're both wrong, <laughs> um, but I'm not doing it to rant against them. Rather, this is a perfect example. This video from, from Grant or from Rant Nation uh, is a perfect example of exactly what the scripture warns us about in Romans 14. It shows us that we don't want to be judging others about things that are conviction issues. And we don't want to be ripping on others because they don't understand the difference between their convictions and God's actual desires. So let's look at, um, uh, hold on, I have to move this back over here. Let's look at Romans 14 and, and I can explain now what I've just rambled on about. We're going to read a big chunk of scripture. And for me to read this, this is the, do, this is the do not judge stuff. This is good stuff though. This is needful stuff. This so applies to tattoos. It so applies to tattoos. 
It's a, tattoos are a conviction issue, right? As in, it's not really just plain wrong. And therefore, it's depending on your heart, your relationship with the Lord. If it seems to be wrong to you, do not do it. If it seems to be okay to you, and in all honesty, and you're truly clean-hearted before God on the issue, then, then you can do it if it passes this test. So Romans 14 talks about the issues. Verse 1, it says, As for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay, let's talk about the term weak in the faith. It took me a really long time to get this, but Romans 14, it describes the person who's weak in the faith, and the weak faith individual is the person who feels that something is sinful when in fact it's permissible by God. So, I'm going to eat this hot dog and it's got pork in it, but I feel like pork is wrong because under the Old Testament law it was wrong, even though scripture seems to clearly indicate no one can judge me in food or drink, I feel like it's wrong, and therefore you're of weak conscience. So, do not eat of it. That's the idea. You, you're, you have a, you're a weak brother, but don't then put that on everyone else because your conscience is weak. You're going to dump it on them. That's not what you should do. Romans 14 is beautiful for this, this sort of conscience con conflict issues. So as for the one who's weak in the faith, in this case, who can't get tattoos, who thinks tattoos are just wrong, they can't get them. Um, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So who's this actually written to? It's written to the strong one, the one who's like, I'm cool with tattoos. I'm fine with it. But guess what? You're to welcome the weak one without arguing over the issue of tattoos. So this, this is to say, I'm trying to give you the theology on tattoos, but now I'm going to stop and say this. If you feel tattoos are wrong, that's fine. Don't change how you feel. Don't get a tattoo. I welcome you. You're my brother. Guess what? I don't have any tattoos. If I did, I wouldn't show them to you anyways, because I love you. And I wouldn't want to cause division between me and you, my brother, my sister in Christ. That's the idea. So welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Or in this case, one person thinks tattoos are okay. And one person doesn't let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. And here's the two sides. Hey, to the, to the grant side, right? You're like down with tattoos. This means a lot to me. I got all my tattoos. You know what? Don't despise the person who abstains. Don't be like, you're the most judgmental, hypocritical person. No, you're just, you're in the flesh, man. Stop. <laughs> Calm down. Don't despise the one who abstains. And to the person who abstains, don't look at the guy with tattoos like Grant and think that something's wrong with him because of it. No. You leave him to God, leave him to God, and you guys need to seek unity. That's the concept in Romans 14. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. On these tough issues, controversial topics, you know, where it's somehow confusing for individuals, just let, let God be the judge there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This isn't as black and white, perhaps, as we want it to be. Just let it go. Verse uh, 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So one's observing a feast day. The other one, perhaps, is every day is the same to them. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Maybe one of those days is Christmas. Maybe you think I'm evil because I celebrated Christmas. Well, Romans 14 is for you too, right? The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. We have two Christians doing opposite things for the same reason, to honor the Lord. What should we do? Be united. Get, get over the conscience difficulties and differences and say, God, at least they're, they seem to be doing this to honor you. I will just embrace them as my brother and sister. Someone gets this cross tattoo on their arm and you're like, you marked the temple of the Lord. And... They're like, are you kidding? It's, I am the temple of the Lord. That's why I got this to remind myself that I belong to God. You know what? We can't divide on this stuff. The division is worse than the issue. I mean, it's, it'd be better to be wrong on tattoos than to cause division over an issue like this that doesn't need to be divisive at all. We need to learn to be embracing one another, accepting each other on this tough topic. Um, tough for some, I should say. Now, for most, many of us, it doesn't matter at all. But for others, it's a huge, huge deal. So the one who observes, uh, by the way, that we're going to get more... We're about to get into the passage in Romans 14 where it's going gonna, it's gonna to explain that the, um, that the requirements or the expectation God has is higher for the person who has the freedom of conscience. The one who says tattoos are okay and I know it. It's God expects more of you than he does from the person who abstains. Who you think, oh, they're the judgmental Pharisee. Actually, God expects more of you than he does of them. That's actually what Romans 14 says. So, um, we'll go to verse... Um, 
There we go. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Right? Right? The... The, the abstainer of tattoos passes judgment on the one who gets them. The one who gets them despises the one who abstains. You Pharisee, you judgment, you fundamentalist, right? And Romans 14 is just saying, you're all just being carnal. <laughs> you all need to stop. Um, verse 11, for it is written, as I, let, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Like this is, they don't bow to you. They bow to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, conclusion, here's what to do about it. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And how do we do How do I avoid from stumbling you if I'm, say, the one with the freedom, right? He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Ah, so the person who feels like tattoos are wrong, guess what? It really is wrong for them because they're violating their conscience before God. So then when I show my tattoo off to them, Am I not hurting my brother? Because to them it's wrong. Now, I'm, I'm not wrong, but I'm being wrong to them. This is where the issue comes down. This is where you're not going to like me anymore after this. Uh, verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself is unclean, but it's unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother, oops, if your brother, there we go, right here, is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You see how it exalts the worth and value of that person you were disagreeing with on this issue of convictions. They're worth so much. Why would I, on this issue, create division with them? Why would I wound them? Why would I hurt them with my tattoo? By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, <clears throat> verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. It's about unity. Do not, for the sake of food or tattoos, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. Sure, tattoos are fine, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats or by the tattoos he wears. I'm going to get a big skull on my arm, but it has a secret meaning that I know about that will, oh, if only they knew how spiritual it was, it would really bless them. But they judge me because they're just hypocrites. Or, or maybe you're just unnecessarily stumbling and treading over the heart of another brother or sister on an area where you have freedom, but it's not loving. Maybe that's, the, that's what's happening. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or get a tattoo or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. If it causes them to stumble, don't do it. That's the idea. The faith that you keep, that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And then verse 50 or chapter 15, it concludes the whole argument and it gives you the bottom line, right? We who are strong, that's people who know tattoos are, are not a problem. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's the bottom line here in Romans 14 and 15, is that you who are strong bear with the scruples of the weak. You who have the ability to say, I'm, I'm okay with tattoos, I know they're all right. Okay, Use wisdom to not shove that in the face of your brother and stumble them. So I would say that if, if, if I have tattoos and I have an international ministry and I know my tattoos are going around the world and some people they're stumbling and some people like them, maybe perhaps I shouldn't put those front and center in my ministry because of the, the wrong conscience of the brother I love over there who is being hurt by my tattoos instead of calling him judgmental. And calling them, you know, hypocrites and calling them a bunch of names. Maybe I should take care for their heart and for their weak conscience and do what scripture says and bear with the scruples of the weak. I, the one piece of advice I've given people on tattoos is if you get a tattoo, I recommend you get it in a location where you can hide it whenever you want to. So that you can bear with the scruples of the weak or get a job. Get, get a job interview at a job where they don't want tattoos, you know. I think that this is just wisdom. This is just love. This is grace. This is kindness, you know. This is just what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. You give up your rights to bless other people. Now, 
This is unpopular. Because what's popular is to rip on the lady who wrote the email or the message saying, I can't look at you because of your tattoos. To rip on her instead of saying, is there a way I can help her look at me? Is there a way I can minister to her, to bless her, to be kind to her, to show the love of Christ to her? I mean, if I told you that in, in some foreign country where you were going to be a missionary, that it was going to be offensive to them if you had a beard. Like if you just, if you had a beard of any kind, it was considered really offensive to them. You would shave your beard off so you could outreach to them out of love. But if I told you that the lady sitting behind you in the pew, that if she saw the tattoo behind your ear, that that would really offend her and that it would stumble her, you might mock and ridicule her. I'm saying this, you shouldn't love the world more than the church. We should love them all. We should love our fellow brothers and sisters and we should bear with the the conscience of the weak. That's what scripture tells us to do. The onus and the requirement for um, changing behavior is, is on the one with the strong conscience, not the weak conscience. That's what scripture actually says. So I'm not saying here, uh, no Christians can get tattoos. What I'm saying is here's the biblical principles. Apply them into your situation. Uh, perhaps you have a parent who hates tattoos. I'm sorry, why would you ever get a tattoo if you love that parent? Or ever get one at least that would be known to them, right? At least that would be aware of. It's fine to privately have your your freedoms. Um, you can have your freedoms to yourself, scripture says. That's fine. You're not hiding it because you're ashamed. You're hiding it out of love for that person so you don't stumble them. So use this wisdom. I think that this might help. Obviously, with, with tattoos, there's other things to consider. I'm not going to get a, some naked lady tattooed on my arm. That would be sinful for multiple reasons. Um, I'm not going to get something that sends an ungodly message. I, I want to guard my heart that I don't get a tattoo that's just about my vanity. But I have to do the same thing with my hair and my clothing. And, and you know, I have to guard against vanity in lots of ways. And, of course, we should be doing that. Um, so there's lots of things to consider with tattoos. You don't want to accidentally get a, a tattoo that um, you regret later on. Because <laughs> they mess it up. I mean, you want to be wise with your tattoos. But um, but that's that's it. That's my teaching on tattoos, guys. I, I hope it's been helpful. And I know I probably should offer some clarity. So I'm going to open it up to your questions. Please send your questions in to, through, the, um, through the, the live chat. And AJ will send those over to me now. And I will answer them and um, <clears throat> see maybe how wrong I am. <laughs> I hope that this has been useful to you, to you guys. Man, I want it to be useful. Division is worse than being wrong about the tattoos. Division. That's actually worse. Keep that in mind. It's the division that we got to watch out for. So here we go. Question number one from Austin Avenaki says, um, I still would like to get more tattoos, but strictly biblical related ones. Is that okay? I already have a lion cross crown of thorns and a David and Goliath sleeve. Thank you. Um, Austin, I think that um, in and of themselves, the tattoos, the tattoos aren't unbiblical. If it, if in some way it's an unhealthy obsession, it's unbiblical. If it's if it's going to cause others to stumble around you, then it could be unbiblical for that reason. But I don't think it's unbiblical because you want to get like a like if you had a tattoo that says like you know I'm a servant of Christ or something like that. Like I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Um, so I, I would just say pray through it, think about it, make sure your conscience is clear, and then ask before look around your life and think of those you'll minister to now and those you may minister to in the future. And ask if this is going to maybe be a stumbling block for them. In which case you could put it in a, a, a less obvious place or, or not get it. Um, I know a buddy who, he wants to be a missionary to the, to the Jewish people one day. He wants to go to Israel. But at the same time, he's young, he's in his early 20s, and he really wants some tattoos. And he says he won't get any tattoos because he wants to be a missionary to the people in Israel. And see, that's a respectful perspective, isn't it? Like He's he's like, I'm not going to do this because because I, I lovingly want to... Um, to outreach to this community and I know it will impact that outreach and see that that's a great way that's a great balance and great attitude to have um, number two James M says please ask uh, Pastor Mike can the gospel message be communicated through tattoos um it, okay yes it, of course it can because any message can be communicated through an art medium like tattoos um and I, I know some people say that like they go well you can't get mad at my tattoos because they're Christ-centered but Think of it this way. Um, what if I go to a Jewish culture and I and I give them the gospel message, but I draw it out in pork sausage? I, you know, I, it, but it's the gospel, but I draw it out in pork sausage, the whole gospel message, all in pork. They can't get mad at me, right? Because it's the gospel. Actually, what I've done is I've added pork to the gospel, and now I'm reaching to a, Jew, a Jewish audience with that. That's going to be offensive, 
and it'll backfire. For some people, James, only, and I'm not saying for everybody, maybe where you live, maybe in your circle, it won't matter. But for some people, communicating the gospel with a tattoo may actually backfire for them. They may find it actually offensive. Um, I'll, I'll, I know people in my own family who are mostly older people, right? But who they would find it offensive. They'd be like, I can't believe that they sullied, you know, the gospel by making it into a tattoo. It would be like pork sausage, you know, to, to the Jewish person. So um, give some thought to that. Give some thought to that. Now, sometimes we dismiss the elderly. Oh, it's just grandma that doesn't like it. Well, the Bible actually says that we should lift up the elderly, have greater respect and honor for the elderly in our lives, not dismiss them as being outdated, last millennium, older generation, just ignore them, doesn't matter what they think, right? That wouldn't be our perspective. Our perspective would be one of love and respect and kindness and honoring them. Um, so I, I can't give you straight yes and no, because I don't know your whole situation in life, but there's some things to think about. Um, Barely Protestant asks, could Mike explain what he means by uh, legitimate counsel. Are the councils of Nicaea through Chalcedon not considered legitimate? What place do councils have in Mike's theology? Um, <clears throat> wow, those interesting questions. I would say it's a legitimate council in that the declarations of the council in Acts 15 are authoritative for the church, right? In fact, they're even in scripture. They're, they're literally in, in scripture, the declaration. Um, it was there with the apostolic authority, those that Jesus gave the authority to proclaim the gospel of Christ and to be the ones who would, who would explain these things. Now, anybody who comes later, they have to bow down to the things that happened in the first century there. Galatians 1 is a good example of this. <clears throat> um, uh, let me give you an example here. Galatians 1, he says... As I've, I'll, I'll start in verse 9. As I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. So he, he, he's like, if I do it, if anybody does it. This, my conclusion from this is um, there is no way to have a counsel that's authoritative enough later on in order to sort of undo what was done in the first century. So it's like the, the faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints so councils are kind of like this. Councils are like this. They go, which way is, is, is the church blowing, so to speak? What is just, what is happening in the local church? It's a good way of assessing what's going on in the church, uh, depending on who is in the council at the time, right? Well, the Council of Trent was an anti-Protestant council. So it's a very anti-Protestant uh, event, you know, going on. Uh, Nicaea was uh, a, a different kind of council than Chalcedon. I don't, I don't think any of them carry this scriptural like type authority that we see in the council in Acts. Um, so my theology of councils is I consider everything that happened after the period of inscripturation, after first century, everything else is extra biblical and under the scriptures because the faith was once and for all delivered. Um, from Cam, it says, Mike Winger, please respond to the recent videos of Apologia Church promoting tattoos. Is it wrong for a church to promote getting tats? Um, I don't, honestly, I haven't followed those videos, so I don't know. I can't speak to what Apologia Church did or didn't do. I think that um, tattoos are enough of a cultural conundrum for people that it really is offensive to some people that I wouldn't, as a church, promote it. I, I would accept it. I would allow it, but I would not promote it because I'm, I think, forcing the weak brother to feel compromised in their conscience, and I think I'm going against scripture by doing that. So... I think based on Romans 14 and 15, and that I think tattoos fits in that passage, the concept, that promoting it is different than allowing it and trying to create, I want to create an environment where pro and con tattoo people can fellowship and, and be united and allow each other to disagree. I don't want to create an environment where our church supports tattoos. I think that's an unhealthy environment for believers. Uh, that's my opinion. Um, Kaylin Van Conant says, hey, Mike, would all body modifications fall under this teaching? I have my ears gauged um, and have never felt like I was grieving the Holy Spirit because I'm pierced and tattooed. Um, actually, ear piercings are even less controversial than tattoos in the Bible, including nose piercings. They're even they're actually less controversial because they were allowed. Um, so not all body modifications, though. I mean, I, I my own personal opinion, if someone's getting horns implanted into their forehead, I think that, or something weird like that, I think that something's like probably psychologically wrong with that person. Um, now, maybe I'm being subjective here, but I think it seems pretty obvious that something's actually wrong with that person. 
Um, so body modification, if it's moving into that genre and that category where you're actually, you're trying to become something other than like a normal human being, I think something's wrong. Uh, but ear piercings were actually pretty culturally normal back then, um, maybe even more so than they are at the moment. Uh, let's see. Question from Sarah. Sarah Buchamp, or Bochamp, sorry, uh, says, if it doesn't violate your conscience and would be a Christian tattoo, should you be worried that it might stumble someone random at some point in your life? Or is it only wrong if you know of a specific person in your life it would stumble? Um, no, I think you should consider your whole life. Uh, I think that's just wisdom, right? So I, I, the reason why I never got tattoos was I wanted to minister to old ladies. <laughs> that, was, that was what I said in my youth, right? I was a little more like clumsy maybe with my words. But I remember saying that thinking... Hey, the tattoo sounds pretty cool. I think I'd like to get one, but you know why I won't? Because I want to minister to, to old ladies and I feel like they won't be able to hear me if they see a tattoo on me. And so I didn't for that purpose. That was my whole reason. Years down the road, unbeknownst, unexpected by me, I'm now doing a ministry that's reaching the people around the world. And I'm really glad I don't have the, the stumbling block of having to deal with tattoos and talk about them and have them in the comment section all the time. I'm glad for that. I'll, I'll say I'm happy for that situation. While I don't think it would have been sin necessarily for me to get one, I'm, I think it was perhaps wisdom not to, and I'm pleased by that personally. But I, I would not hinder a person from serving a ministry if they had tattoos. Um, I wouldn't stop them. I just think it would create a stumbling block or something they'd have to constantly bring up and constantly talk about and constantly explain that would be annoying, at least for them, <laughs> to have to deal with. Um, and potentially close doors for them to minister to certain people, which is just unfortunate. Um, even if it's because those people just have wrong views. I still want to minister to them, even if they're just wrong. J Jacob Inglet says, is there any biblical reason to get a tattoo? If no, why get one? Um, there's no biblical reason that I can think of to get a tattoo, but um, but here's my concern with, with that. If, if we apply that thinking to other issues, because if, it's, if, it's if that's a good way to, to work it, is there any biblical reason to have indoor plumbing? Um, I mean, I don't know of any biblical reason to have indoor plumbing. Um, do you? Does that mean we shouldn't have indoor plumbing? Or is there any biblical reason to have for restaurants to have drive throughs which I happen to really like having drive throughs I'm always in a hurry and I just eat in my car all the time, you know, so, but I don't know of any biblical reason for them to have drive throughs or is there a biblical reason to have them? Um, I mean, I, you could just fill in the blank. You, you could, you could go along these, along these lines for quite a while. So, so I don't think that that, I, I don't think that's the best question to ask when deciding what to do. Um, you should ask, is it glorifying God? Is it blessing my, my neighbor? Is it is it honoring what clear teachings we have in scriptures? Uh, number eight, Kid A says, Mike, why do you apply Romans in this way to issues like tattoos, but not to other issues regarding women and premarital sex, for example? Well, actually, let's go back to Acts 15 and let's look at why. Um, I'll just give you one passage that deals with that. What did they decide down in verse 20? Here we go. Verse 29, that they abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols from and from blood. These are, and strangled, these are things related to pagan worship that they were not to engage in. And then from what? Sexual immorality. This transcends the Old Testament law. Laws against sexual, see, sexual immorality is a moral truth that, that there's anything outside of man, woman, marriage, any sexual activity outside of that environment is considered sexual immorality. It's a catch-all term. And that is transcendently true above and beyond the law now it's in the law those moral truths are in the law because god was giving them good laws but guess what it was true in abraham's day it was true in adam and eve's time it was true you know throughout the scriptures so in that sense um uh, that's why I, don't, I we only apply romans 14 to conviction issues which means issues where this is totally permissible but some christians feel bad about it anyways those are the issues uh, that you can apply romans 14 to uh, Dean Meadows. Hey, Dean. Good to hear from you. Um, what are your thoughts about tats that have political statements on them? Should Christians do that? Say like the Confederate flag. Um, well, um, I don't understand the whole Confederate flag stuff. I'm from California, so I'm not, it's not even like nobody, I've seen like one Confederate flag in my life in California. I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't come up down here. So I can't even pretend to know all of the political baggage on both sides on that issue. Um, I don't know how to answer that one, Dean. I don't know how. And here's why. Um, 
let's say it's not about the Confederate flag. Let's say it's about just a political statement like um, live free or die or um, no taxation without representation. I feel like on my side, I'm like uh, tying myself to a political view in that way seems pretty extreme. So I, I wouldn't do it. Um, um, but some people, perhaps they're called to do politics and perhaps that's their thing. And this is their passion. And this is where God wants to use them. And then in that case, I don't even, yeah, I'll say in my view, I will abstain from that, from even trying to put my foot down on that issue. I just don't think I have the wisdom to answer it. And I would leave it up to the individual. I would just say it's a conscience issue and wisdom. Um, good luck ministering to a lot of people. If you have a Confederate flag tattooed on you, right or wrong, this is going to burn bridges for you. Um, number 10, Linda PB says, you mentioned horn implants. What about hair implants? Um, I think hair implants are different. Um, abs, I guess that would be like liposuction. So hair implants are different because that's literally just trying to restore what was already there. <laughs> like you're not trying to turn yourself into like a dragon or monster or something inhuman. You're trying to restore what was already there. Um, I think liposuction, there's nothing inherently wrong with liposuction, but for both hair implants and like liposuction, there's questions of, of vanity that have to be wrestled with for the people. And I will leave it to them. I'm not going to look at someone who goes through one of those procedures and just assume they have a vanity issue. Um, God knows their heart. And I don't think I have a right to go there. So, um, so in that sense, yeah. And then sweet roll thief, uh, question number 11 says, uh, Mike, can a pastor continue with pastoral leadership if he repents from a sin like adultery or divorce? Um, that's a heavy question. And I'm not sure. Oh, I've, I've left this up the whole time. There we go. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, off the top of my head, I, I can't, there's, there's some scriptures that are coming to mind, but I feel like I need to go back and look at them again before I answer that question. Some things just escape me in the moment, and that's the case here. But this year, speaking of what's coming in 2019, I intend to do a thoughtful, careful teaching on the topic of marriage and divorce and remarriage using from the scriptures, like a thorough treatment of the topic, answering the, the toughest questions I can find and the best of my ability. That's one of the things I intend to do um, this year in 2019. So um, it's been good, you guys. Um, I, I think I can keep it under under an hour today if I if I if I stop right now. So I'm gonna do that. Um, but I'll be back. Let's see. This coming Monday, which is six. Wait, it's Tuesday now. As of six days from now, um, I'll put live a video, a new video on Jesus in the Old Testament. So that's gonna be coming out on Monday, and we're gonna be dealing with most likely, if I have the time to prepare it all, um, uh, Jesus pictured throughout the book of Judges. I'm just going to survey the whole book of Judges and look at Jesus and the pictures of Jesus we see in the book of Judges, which I think will be really fun and really neat. And then we'll be back here <clears throat> next Tuesday for more content. I might do some content on the Hebrew Roots movement. I've been asked, I asked you guys what you wanted me to cover in the future. This was the number one requested video was the Hebrew Roots movement. So I'm, I'm going to have to take some time to research and study, learn what they really believe, what they're really thinking. And there's, it's a different move, vast movement with different branches. So if I can, I'll come at that with some real thoughtful and gracious, um, and hopefully biblical clarity. And that, that would be my goal. Um, and if you guys want to send me stuff, you can put comments in this video related to the Hebrew roots movement. If it's don't send me everything in the world, send me what you think is the clearest, best teaching from that movement that represents them very well. That would be the stuff I'm interested in. And, um, yeah, until then, we'll, uh, we'll just hope you guys have a really wonderful new year. And just remember every year, every year I think about this, I look back on my life and I just think, well, life is short. Um, I just turned 40 like a week ago. So <laughs> uh, life is short. Things are going by fast. And as we move forward, inch forward towards eternity, all that matters is ultimately that we are right with God, that we have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that it's not about just the tattoos and it's not about all these conviction issues, the number one issue is that my sin is washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and that I've put my faith in the one who died for me and rose again, showing me that God loves me more than I've ever loved anyone, um, that he sent his own son to die on the cross for you, that you might know him and know eternal life. Maybe you've been putting off spiritual things in your life, and I would say this, everything else in your life should be put off until you deal with the spiritual things of your life and get your heart and your life right with God and your mind and your will focused upon him because 
ultimately, ultimately, that's all that's going to matter. So Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Have a great evening.